0: This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show that will offer you half of our popsicle, but slap it out of your hand before you can take a lick.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, how funny would that actually be, though? It would be pretty funny. It's like that vine where,
0: like, that dude is dancing around talking about his free taco, but then he falls on the sidewalk and it just, like, shatters on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, please follow us on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, we have an email. What if I told you podcast at gmail.com. hmm Do those things. Some cool shit happens there, you know?
1: Yeah. We've been trying, uh, semi-hard to post more stuff. <laughs> it's so yeah. hard. Social media is so hard.
0: Yeah, and you just, I feel like if we do it too much, it'll seem like we're trying too hard.
1: Here's the weird thing about social media is I looked up, like, what you, the things you should do to grow a social media following on Instagram and on TikTok, and I don't remember exactly how often it said to post on Instagram, but for TikTok, it said you should be regularly posting three TikToks a day. Absolutely not. Every day. And I was like, who the fuck has time to create three TikToks a day, seven days a week? 21 TikToks a week. <clears throat> I know a lot of people, like, that do social media will set out a chunk of time and just record maybe at the entire week's worth of shit Yeah, at once, which I actually kind of did last weekend. I was... Dakota was mowing, and I was waiting on food to bake in the oven, so I just created, like, nine TikToks, and I slow-released them over the week. Yeah. But... I mean... I feel like that's a pretty good number of TikToks to release in a week. I agree. I... My... i My thought process was, like, one a day. Yeah. That seems normal. <laughs> that seems normal to me, but the internet says three per day. And I was like... <laughs> okay. You that's know what? That's too much. I don't have that kind of time. No. So... Sorry. We're drinking coffee this
0: afternoon. Well, I guess it's not afternoon yet. It's
1: 1146. Mm -hmm. It's getting close to noon. Yeah. Um, I went to post, I had a series of errands to run today and, uh, Michael's was having a sale on canvases. So I had to buy as many canvases as humanly possible, obviously. And so I went to post and they now have the sip through lid. They must have heard the episode. You know what? They had to have heard our episode where we talk about this because they have a sip-through lid. Exactly like Starbucks. I think
0: we need to partner with Post. Yeah. I'm not sure what they would get from us,
1: but it would be cool to, like, you know, tag them and shit or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can talk about them on the pod. People listen to our podcast. I wear their hoodie all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I lost mine. It's probably in my car. Here's the thing. It's you know definitely what I lost? in my car. I lost our, my fucking
0: Allen Jackson tank top. That's really upsetting. I, I have no idea where that is.
1: I wore it two days ago. Here's the thing. I really love to wear that tank top in public because it says hoochie and coochie. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah. We should wear that to, like, the Cass County Fair. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been to the Cass County Fair since I was, like, a child child. It's been a handful of years since I've been, but, you know, that was because the children. Mm-hmm. Right. My grandparents always have, a like, a booth there giving out water.
0: Oh, They're the true heroes of the Cass County Fair. Yeah. Really. <clears throat> <laughs> um, So... Hopefully, it's been updated if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It wasn't updated yesterday, but if you're not following us on Instagram, which you should be, we have a new logo. It's not updated. Fuck. Still. Well, it's Sunday, so we'll see how it goes on yeah. Tuesday. But if you're listening on Spotify, our logo has changed, um,
1: and we love it. We're yeah. in love with it. Yeah, I think probably every other podcast app, it's changed. Yeah, Apple is very picky. They're super picky.
0: It was slow. just. It was so weird, like reading that, like minimum fourteen hundred by fourteen hundred, and then that's what I uploaded, and it was like this is too big,
1: and I was like, yeah, but that's a medium. What, or, what I, what it did whenever I. Uh, went in and re, like, re-uploaded it. Is I made the file on my desktop 1400 by 1400 pixels, and then when I uploaded it, it pulled up a box for me to like pull the corners. Mm-hmm. And so then I did that, and it accepted it. That's I don't know. what I did.
0: That's very weird. I know. Because those corners, once they were like maxed, pulled out, mm-hmm. like down in that little corner. It said 1,400 by 1,400, I was like, cool, upload.
1: Yeah.
0: Too big. Weird. I tried it like three or four times because I thought I was tripping.
1: That's super weird.
0: Yeah. But anyways, it should be changed. Um, We hope you all love it because we do, and I don't know if I'm going to say her name correctly, but um, she's an amazing
1: digital artist on Instagram that we found I did put her handle at the bottom but it would be really helpful at this point too yeah um, <laughs> her handle is at Laura underscore Dimitriu I think that's right Dimitriu
0: yeah D-U-M-I-T-R-I-U so give her a follow um, she does some really cool shit so. yeah oh we have a message request. Weird. Oh, yeah. So, Laura,
1: thank you so much. You are a precious human being. Yeah. Such amazing work. Even the rough sketch is dude, fucking amazing. I, I would have accepted that, honestly. Honestly, me too. <laughs> I mean, we could even <laughs> use the rough sketch for, like, a sticker. I know. I would. I would put that on a sticker and put it on shit. It's super cute. Head over to our Instagram to see the new logo. Um it looks weirdly like us. Yeah. Um <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's perfect.
0: Um now there's another change. We're introducing you to what is now called Chip's Basement. Um due to Chips Very unusual thoughts lately. We have changed Chip's Corner to Chip's Basement. And we'll just start with the first weird fucking thing he sent us. Well, this isn't weird, but he did say lightning strikes um, in the same spot quite often. So Hmm. y'all better watch out. And... uh. In case you were wondering, because I'm sure everyone was wondering,
1: um, Skull Dust smells like Fritos. This makes me want to question the people at Fritos.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know who originally put that
1: thought out there. but And how it got to Chip, I don't know. And how did you discover this? Was somebody just out here with, like, a cheese grater just, like, zesting a human skull? And they're like, hmm, this is giving me a Frito vibe.
0: Um, We'll no longer be eating Fritos, in case anyone was wondering.
1: Yeah. Not that I just regularly get Fritos, but... They're great for certain dips, you know. And chili. The Frito scoops. Yeah, I I usually do uh, Frito scoops for my chili. Yeah.
0: Literally anything, if you throw some sour cream and Fritos in it, it's going to heighten the experience. True. Sour cream, for sure. Oh,
1: my God.
0: All right, so we're (laughs) going to get into it, because we were recording two today, and um, for some reason, I scheduled my grocery pickup for 3 (laughs) p.m.
1: Rookie. (laughs) No, we'll be done by then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because the one after this one is, I I don't want to jinx us, but it's pretty short. (laughs) It'll be an hour and 15. (laughs) It'll be the longest episode (laughs) we've ever created. Um, Yeah, and
0: I'm going to have to try to edit this today because both the boys have games tomorrow. I mean, it'll probably be canceled because I'm sure it'll be raining, but. True. Anyways. Today, we are going to be covering the Delphi murders. Huge! Yeah. It's a really, really big case, and um, I'm sure most of you have heard of it.
1: Yeah. If you have spent any time at all in the true crime space, you know Delphi. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many podcasts that actually every single true true crime podcast has either done a series of episodes on this case, or one episode, or they've talked about it at some point. So, yeah, the podcasts specifically that I listen to to prepare for this one, um, I listen to the Prosecutors podcast. They did four episodes on Delphi, and then they periodically will do updates Mm -hmm. as shit comes out, which we will probably also do. Yeah. And then uh, True Crime Garage, they periodically will do a handful of episodes on Delphi. Uh, The Down the Hill podcast is specifically Delphi. Yeah. And I'm surprised that that one hasn't been updated in a while. I know. That is what I thought, too. Because it... Is only like 10 episodes. Yeah. I finished it. Yeah, I finished it, and I was surprised they hadn't put out another one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. But I got photos. We're going to post photos. Um, And those I got from the Down the Hill podcast website. Okay. Because there's a map and obviously the sketches and blah, blah, blah. Um, I also listened to a couple episodes of The Murder Sheet. They are actually going to come up later, too. They're the Murder Sheet is the podcast that got the transcript of the uh, interview with Keegan Klein. Yeah, so they've been like in the actual news. I like that. Over this Murder Sheet, the Murder Sheet. yeah. Yeah, their podcast is cool. They usually only do restaurant associated murders, like the Burger Chef murders. That's a that's Are a, there a lot of those? Apparently. That's super weird. I didn't realize that that was kind of their theme until I was, I knew the murder sheet had something to do with Delphi. So I went to their podcast to listen to their episodes on Delphi. And the their very first Delphi episode, they're like, this is kind of a departure from our regular content. And I was like... What do you mean a departure? You're clearly a true true crime show. Your title's the murder sheet. These are murders. How is this out of the realm of what you do? And then I heard them talk about restaurant murders, restaurant murders, and I was like, okay, you do
0: restaurant murders. They should their podcast name should be like the murder menu then or something. Yeah,
1: exactly. We'll have to pitch that to them. Yeah. Hey, Murder Sheet. Maybe you want to call yourself the murder menu. Yeah. That has a nice ring to it. It does. Alliteration wins every time. Every time. <laughs> so, if you want a podcast to listen to about Delphi, those are the the big ones that do really good coverage. Crime Junkie covered Delphi as well, but... That was like uh, three years ago probably? Yeah, it was a long time ago, and... I don't know if they did a two-parter, but their episodes are typically like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Covering this fucking case in 30 minutes seems impossible Impossible to me. Yeah, But then again, when I think about most of the cases they cover and the fact that their episodes are like 30 to 45 minutes, I ask myself, how the fuck do they cover cases in that amount of time? They just leave a bunch of shit out. That's true. That's exactly what is happening. They yeah. leave a bunch of shit out. But then they, like, talk about deep diving into cases. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? What is your definition of deep dive? Skimming the surface. Skimming the surface. Just the cream. The cream of the case. The cream of the case. Well, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I, when I write our episodes, there's oftentimes shit that I leave out. Yeah. And our episodes average about an hour and ten minutes. Some longer, depending, like, Nexium, I think, was almost two hours. Yeah, it was. That was fucking huge, though. Yeah, that was before we entertained the ideas of multiple-part episodes. Mm -hmm. That one easily could have been two parts. Yeah. And been an hour and ten each, probably. Yeah. But... I digress. I don't want to, like, shit-talk other shows. I really enjoyed Crime Junkie when I first started listening to podcasts.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good... It's, it's a good... pot. It's a good true crime podcast to put on in the car, like, on a road trip, because it's straight storytelling. Um, it They go by
1: fast and easy. It does go by quickly. It is easy. I think that Ashley has a really good voice to listen to. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good starter podcast. If you are interested in true crime, like maybe you just watch documentaries and now you want to listen to a true crime podcast, they're a good one to listen to. If you create podcasts yourself, Mm -hmm. it is difficult to listen to. Yeah. I think that when we started this show is when I stopped listening to Crime Junkie. Yeah, probably the same for me, too, honestly. Because I think I could hear how scripted it was. Oh, absolutely. Like, the Which, the questions that are interjected? Yes. Ugh. Yes. And I know that, like, shows like um, Down the Hill is also scripted. Or, like, big network shows. Like, anything that's on... CBS mm-hmm. Network or the CNN. All those shows are scripted, but it you could tell that the people who are hosting it are actors. Yeah. So well, and I mean,
0: they're more entertaining, especially like with Down the Hill. I mean, the amount
1: of like interview audio
0: they have yeah, is
1: excellent. Yeah. So much interview audio, which yeah. is really nice. It is nice. So it's just... It's a different vibe because certain podcasts, you go into it knowing that this is a structured narrative. They have a script they're following. These are voice actors. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a different mindset when you're going into the show as opposed to something like Crime Junkie. When we started listening to it, it was just them. Right. They weren't on a network. It was basically like us. They were just creating the show.
0: Yeah.
1: So, the script nature didn't make sense for that show. No. No.
0: It and must just be their preference.
1: Which is fine, yeah. I guess, you know? I mean, they do a good
0: job, but they're not diving deep into cases.
1: Yeah. So. And it, and it's just not the style that I prefer to listen to now. I I mean, I like... I like podcasts that stick to the story, but I really my
0: favorite type of true crime podcast is like a like a seasons long case. Um, yeah, you know, there's one. I think it's called "Someone Knows Something." In mm-hmm. each season, it's different, and he does a great job. It has tons of interviews, and you really feel like you're there with him, yeah. like trying to
1: solve this. Yeah, I love that shit. I, I like. Both kinds, where you get one case in an episode or two, but I also like long form, where, like, Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff, he does exclusively wrongful convictions, Mm -hmm. and he does one case per season. Yeah. And he, I mean, he does Freedom of Information Act requests at courthouses, he has court documents, he interviews Obviously, the person who is incarcerated for this crime. Right. He, he works with the Innocence Project. Like, he's fully fucking investigating this shit. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And he'll do fucking 30 episodes on a case. Yeah. And it's so interesting. So that's like the long form that I really enjoy. But I, I also sometimes am not in the headspace to take that on. Yeah.
0: Uh, That's, yeah. If you're going to do that, it's hard to jump around to other podcasts.
1: Yeah, because I have a a semi-obsessive brain when it comes to something like that. Like, when I get on a particular subject, I want to know literally everything there is to know about a subject. Yeah. Like, Delphi. I literally, every podcast that I listed off at the beginning, I listen to every single one of the episodes they have. And the Prosecutor's Podcast, I've listened to their Delphi episodes at least twice. Damn. So, (laughs) I have that weird nature, uh, that weird compulsion to need to know everything about a subject. Well, that's good, though. Especially with this shit. True. But that's why I can't... It's like new shows. I can't start new shows all the time or else it just... I I just can't handle it mentally sometimes. I get it. (laughs) So I've rewatched The Office 12 times. (laughs) Anyway, here we go. We're into Delphi. There's a large chunk of this we're going to cut. Absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. That was a real fucking tangent. (laughs) So um, this case is huge. Blah, blah, blah. Now we're going to talk about Abby and Libby. So Abigail Abby Williams was 13 And Liberty Libby German was 14 years old. And from here on out, we're just going to call them Abby and Libby. Yeah. Uh, They were in eighth grade at Delphi, Indiana Middle School. They were best friends. And on February 13th, 2017, they had the day off school, which um, it sounds like in Indiana, which we didn't do this at my school, but... The school year, like, builds in snow days, Mm -hmm. so that if you have several snow days, you won't have to tack them on at the end of the year, but at this point, they hadn't used all their snow days, so they just got this day off. We did have, like, built-in snow days, so we wouldn't have to tack them on to the end of the year, but they didn't just randomly give us days off. No. So... If you are from the South or, like, California and you don't know what a snow day is, (laughs) I'm really sorry, because they're fun. Yeah. You wake up in the morning at, like, 5 a.m. and watch the little scroll at the bottom, like, please, Lord Jesus, (laughs) let it list my school. And then it did, and you're like, fuck, I'm awake. I can't go back to sleep. Yeah. Anyway, so they had this day off, and they wanted to go and frolic, obviously, There is, like, kind of a park trail area where people would hike. It's the Monan High Trails, which is also part of... There's a bridge there that used to be, like, a railroad kind of thing where Mm -hmm. a train would go over. But it's obviously been out of train use for decades. And they call it the Monan High Bridge. And so they wanted to go out there and hike and hang out. The weather was unseasonably nice, so when I say unseasonably nice for February in Indiana, that's like 40s. Yeah. I think it was like 42 degrees that day for a high. Which isn't bad. Which in February? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's hoodie weather. It's hoodie weather. Yeah. Usually here in Missouri, I think this past February was when we had several weeks of like temperatures in the single digits. hmm So that's just a little perspective. Indiana weather is comparable to weather here. Right. So, yeah, February is usually below freezing the whole month. So 42 degrees. Some people probably felt it was warm enough to wear shorts. Absolutely. That's (laughs) what happens here. Yeah, exactly. All right. So here's the timeline.
0: It's very important, just like any other timeline is. Super precise, super important. So, it's February 13th, 2017. At 1.35pm, Abby and Libby are dropped off by Libby's older sister, Kelsey, at the High Bridge. There were apparently a few different trailheads that you could enter from. Now, I'm not a hiker or a trail person, but a trailhead is just where you can start. Mm-hmm. So, you could enter that in order to hike to the High Bridge. And Kelsey dropped them off at one called monin hybrid drill yeah kelsey says they got out of my car i made sure they both had sweatshirts and told them goodbye i told libby i loved her they walked out and that was the last time i saw them on the down the hill podcast there's a lot of interviews with kelsey and she is very sweet and to me it seems like you know they were like always together you know Mm -hmm. it's almost like Abby was almost one of her little sisters in a way because they were just always together.
1: Right. And Kelsey, I think, was, like, 16 or 17. Yeah. She was driving. She was driving. And she had to, after this, after she dropped them off, she, like, went to her boyfriend's house and then had to go to work. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of her schedule. She reluctantly dropped them off. She didn't want to. And Libby and Abby just continued to, like, beg her. Yeah. So, she ended up taking them. So, at 2.07 p.m.,
0: Libby Snapchats a photo of Abby walking on the high bridge. At 3.11 p.m., Derek German, who is Libby's dad, calls Libby's phone and it goes to voicemail. Two minutes later, at 3.13, Libby's dad calls her phone again and again it goes to voicemail. After the second call, Derek parks at the trailhead. Um, which was their pre-arranged pickup spot.
1: And this, so, is, this is the same place that Kelsey dropped them off. Right.
0: He gets out of his car and starts walking down the trail because he's looking for the girls. And he comes to the intersection of the 501 trail and the 505 trail. And the 501 is also called the Monon High Trail. And at this intersection, Derek sees an older man in a flannel, a.k.a. flannel shirt guy in this case, and asks him if he's he's seen the girls, he says no, but that he'd seen a couple on the bridge. And we're not sure if that means a couple as in a romantic couple or a couple of people or the you know, the two girls or what.
1: So yeah. that's kind of
0: not very helpful.
1: Super vague.
0: So Derek follows a five oh five trail and it comes to a dead end at Bear Creek and he sees no one, so he just goes back to the car. At three thirty Derek gets back into his car and calls Libby's grandma to tell her that he cannot get a hold of Libby, nor can he find her and Abby at the trails. So the family then meets at the Monan High Trails to start searching. At 5.30, Libby and Abby are reported missing and the search begins. This is a pretty short timeline and it's our shortest to date because, you know, they were by themselves, so it's not like there's a bunch of different, you know, surveillance shit, like, tying in, or a bunch of witnesses tying in, so... Mm-hmm. It's kind of shitty.
1: Yeah. Okay, so, the search. Now, this is February, so it's probably already getting dark, if not is dark at 530. Yeah. It's definitely at least, like, dusk. In February, definitely. Yeah, so... After they failed to meet Libby's dad at 3.30, Abby and Libby are reported missing at 5.30, and the community pretty much just converges at the trails and the area of the Monon High Bridge Trail to fan out and search. So in the early hours of the search, the Carroll County Sheriff, Tobe Lesenby, stated that there was no reason to think that the girls were in immediate danger. Hey, Tobe, I feel like you realize you shouldn't have said this, right? Right. When children are missing, we should just treat it as if they are potentially in immediate danger. Right, because they're children. Because they're children and they're missing. And that's a problem. Um, But family, law enforcement, volunteers, they searched the area late into the night of February 13th. And then it obviously became too dark for the search efforts to be useful. So it was paused and then resumed the next morning. And the next morning is when canine units were brought in. There was a dive team brought in because Bear Creek runs through this trail. So they brought the the dive team. I don't know how deep a creek would be. I mean, to be honest, it really
0: depends. I mean, I've been in creeks that are you know as deep as 10 or 15 feet but that's still not that deep i mean that's the deep end of a pool you yeah
1: know? yeah so there are dive teams brought in the canine units obviously and they resumed the search on the morning of february 14th 2017 at around 12 o'clock aka noon at around noon on February 14th, the search team found the bodies of Abby and Libby located about half a mile away from the Monen High Bridge. This is really the only information we know about the discovery. A running theme throughout this case is that there's almost no details released. Like, it's skint. Yeah. We don't know any information about the manner of death, the state of the crime scene, or if there was anything left by the killer or anything taken from the scene by the killer. Yeah. So we don't know any of those details, but there's heavy speculation about all of those things. Yeah. So, um, there's been nothing from authorities to confirm how the girls were killed, but of course there are rumors. And the most prevalent rumor is that they were either strangled or that their throats were cut. And this rumor is based on reports that both Abby and Libby had scarves around their necks for the funeral slash memorial service. Yeah. So the speculation is the scarves were placed in order to conceal their wounds. Um, obviously with the scarf theory, um, this Kind of, I think, and some of the podcasts, I think, like, True Crime Garage speculated this. So, bruising would likely be easier to cover up with makeup. Yeah. Es- especially, like, the makeup that they use at a funeral home. It's thicker. More yeah, it's like a... It's almost
0: almost like a clay
1: consistency, honestly. Yeah, because yeah, the point of... The makeup that they do at funeral homes is to make the person look like they're not deceased. Right. So they have to, like, bring color to their face. And so it's really thick. Like, stage makeup. Yeah, color that won't, like, just
0: soak into the skin and start
1: disappearing. So it seems like if it was bruising on their necks, Makeup would have likely covered that fairly well, but it would not cover something like cuts. No. So, um, and also, many of the same rumors also state that Libby's specifically was cut so severely that it nearly decapitated her. And there are more like, parts of the rumors and theories out there that kind of speculate that Libby was in worse shape and that she had more of, like, that overkill happening, Mm -hmm. suggesting that she was being really difficult with the killer. So, you know, pissed him off. And... So, we have the overkill. Yeah. So, obviously, a cut that severe on her neck would absolutely not be covered up by makeup. No. So, that's the scarve thing. It's not confirmed, however. So, manner and cause of death still not released or confirmed by authorities. Um, They have stated that there were, quote, signatures left at the scene by the killer. We've obviously not been told what those signatures are. And the original prosecutor in this case stated the signatures were odd and not what you would think.
0: All right. Thanks.
1: Cool. I'm super glad you gave us those knowledge nuggets because they're really helpful. It's odd. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, but I have heard that some people speculate that the signatures could have been, um, like maybe words left at the scene. Yeah.
0: I mean, if they're going to say that it's odd and not what you would think, it's obviously not a literal signature. Right. So, but I mean, it could be words or it could be.
1: I don't know, any some kind man- of object? Yeah, any manner of thing. Yeah. But I, I have heard people talk about the potential of, like, one word being repeated over and over again on, at the scene. Like, it's in the woods, so it couldn't be, like, I mean, I guess it could have been written on a tree, but... That seems like a lot of work. And it also seems like if it was written or carved into the tree somebody could go back to the scene at this point and see it. Right. So that doesn't seem likely. Some people have speculated that maybe it was a word written over and over again on the bodies of the girls, which, what, sure? I don't know. We probably won't know for a while. Yeah, we're not going to know until the killer is caught, Mm -hmm. honestly. have no idea what these signatures are, but apparently... Their abnormal signatures from what other killers leave at the scene of crimes. They must
0: be if they're considered odd. But then again, this is a person who killed two little girls. So, yeah. So all of it seems odd. I don't know.
1: Do they think this would surprise us or? I feel like in this at this point, we've heard so many stories of serial killers, n- nothing would seem odd. No. Because it's all terrible, and it's all... No, I don't understand any of these killers. Why, what... It's all odd. It's all weird. It's all completely incomprehensible Yeah, that they would even do the thing. So, I don't feel like anything that they could release about this signature would make me go... Really? Yeah. That was his signature? That's odd. That's weird. Cool. Meanwhile, we've got the nipple belts of Ed Gein over here. Listen. That's odd. Listen. A box full of vulvas.
0: That's odd. We are going to talk about the investigation. So, like we said, the police have not released details of how the girls were actually murdered. And as early as February 15th, two days after the murders, Indiana State Police began circulating a still image of an individual reportedly seen on the High Bridge Trail near where the two girls were slain. And this photograph is very grainy because footage or photographs from crimes are never fucking clear.
1: Yeah, for... You know, the universe is just like, you know, I'm not going to make this easy for you. You got to make this a little bit difficult. Yeah, I'm going to make this picture
0: of this killer look like literally anyone on this earth.
1: Meanwhile, I can snap a photo of the skyline of Chicago from a moving vehicle and it's crystal clear. Yeah. Cool.
0: (sighs) It appears to be a Caucasian male. His hands are in his pockets and he's walking on the bridge with his head down. Toward the girls. So a few days later, the person in the photograph was named the prime suspect in the double homicide, obviously. Obviously. On February 22nd, law enforcement released an audio recording where the voice of the suspect, though it is pretty muffled, um, apparently says three <laughs> words down the hill. It was at a news conference that officials credited the source of the audio and the picture to Libby's phone. And what I mean by that is she had the, the foresight to snap this picture, record this audio, and that is wild to me.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about Libby's phone a little bit later, but yeah, she she clearly had the tingles yeah, going on. Absolutely. And was like, you know what? I'm going to document this on my
0: phone. Yeah. So the police indicated that additional evidence from the phone um, had been secured, but they, of course, did not release any of that, so they
1: wouldn't compromise any future trial. Which... For anybody who's wondering why they're not releasing details, that's why. Yeah. Because, first of all, it's in order to preserve evidence to secure conviction and to weed out people who would falsely confess. As weird as it sounds, it happens all the time. People fucking do that. They just confess to shit that they didn't do, and police have hold back evidence, which is what they call it. In order to make sure that whoever is confessing is confessing details of the crime only the killer would know. Right. So, <clears throat> that's why. Um, Usually it's not this much holdback back evidence. Though. No. This is a lot. Yeah.
0: So, by this time, the reward offered in the case was set at $41,000. Yeah. On July 17th, officers distributed a composite sketch of someone who, at the time of investigation, was sought as the person of prime interest. And it had apparently been drawn by police from eyewitnesses to a certain hiker of the Delphi Historic Trails on the day that the girls vanished.
1: Yeah, and this sketch will really, there are two sketches, which we're going to talk about the next one. Um, there are two sketches. This one is of what looks like an older guy. He's got a little bit of, like, scruff on his face. His hair's kind of long. He's wearing, uh, they call it a flat cap, but it's a, it's a paperboy hat. Yeah. So it's, like, got the bill in the front, and it, it's, if you've ever watched Peaky Blinders. Those hats. Those hats. Um, he's got, like, a scarf on, a jacket, and he just looks kind of older. Mm-hmm. I, the sketch looks like 45-year-old man to me. Yeah, I was going to say late 40s, 50s. Yeah, yeah that's what it kind of looks like. Um, and people, well, people call the guy from the photo that Libby took Bridge Guy. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the suspect later, we're going to call him Bridge Guy. Yeah. So. <clears throat>
0: On April 19th, 2019, Indiana State Police announced a new direction in the case. On behalf of State Police and the Multi-Agency Task Force, Superintendent Doug Carter released more materials a few days later in the press conference held on April 22nd. The new material included a short video recording in which the blue-jeaned and jacketed suspect is seen walking along the trail, um, for a little over a second. Superintendent Carter states that because of the deteriorated condition of the bridge, the suspect is not walking naturally due to the spacing between the ties An updated sketch of the suspect was also unveiled as well as an extended version of the audio recording in which a slight rise in the suspect's voice can be detected as he utters the word guys before the phrase, down the hill. Yeah. It was further explained that the previously released sketch showing an older man with a goatee and the Peaky Blinder hat is now considered secondary. By contrast, the clean shaven individual of the newly released composite is the primary sketch of the prime suspect. So police say this person may, here we go, range in age from 18 to 40. Cool. Cool. Um, but caution that his youthful appearance could make him look younger than his true
1: age, yes, so in the second sketch, it actually is less detailed than the first, yeah, and he's got what looks like short curly hair, yeah, so I would say like his hair's probably like an inch long and it's curly, just wildly different so, like completely fucking different yeah it does look like a young person Mm -hmm. clean shaven thin er i hate the range 18 to 40 yeah
0: huge fucking difference
1: especially for a man yeah especially in the face
0: of a man yeah hair all of that exactly but here we are here we are so investigators revealed that they have reason to believe that the suspect might well be hiding in plain sight and that the person is most certainly familiar with the Delphi area, whether it be from living there or working there or for whatever reason. An additional plea was made for help in identifying the driver of a vehicle left abandoned off the Hoosier-Heartland Highway. God, that is a tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Delphi at the former child services office between noon and 5 p.m. on the day of the
1: murders. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So we're going to talk about the evidence. So first is the photo and the video. So I think there's some misconception out here about the photo and video that they got from Libby's phone. So, the man that she captured in the photo and video is a man wearing blue jeans, a blue jacket, and a hat. And she, a lot of people think she recorded this stuff on Snapchat. How there's even some people that call this case the Snapchat case. But that's not true. She did not record the suspect on Snapchat. She took a Snapchat photo of Abby earlier in the day on the bridge. Yeah. So that's how people knew what time they were actually at the bridge because of the Snapchat photo of Abby. She actually captured the video of Bridge Guy just directly on her phone. And I think, well, police have actually stated that they pulled this from her phone, which Snapchat wouldn't save it to your phone unless you selected to do so. Right. And that stuff vanishes after so long anyway. So, it would be uh, not useful at all. No. She recorded it directly onto her phone, which makes the most sense because many people speculate that it's muffled because in order to conceal that she was recording, she probably put her phone in her pocket. Yeah. So, it would cause the muffled effect and also would not alert him that she was recording. Right. So... The speculation is that she hit record, put it in her pocket, and then everything unfolded after that. It really seems like Bridge Guy didn't even know that she had a phone on her. Yeah. Because I feel like he would have probably just snagged it and taken it with him. Right. Obviously. I mean, duh. Authorities have been pretty explicit that they have more Of the recording that's been released than what has been released. So they've released about one and a half seconds of video. Wildly short. Mm -hmm. And many people have criticized them for not releasing more of the video. Obviously, there's like two sides to every coin. If they release too much, then there's, you know, not enough evidence for them to weed out false confessors. But also, we don't know what was captured On this video slash audio, because if it was in her pocket, then you would just have audio at that point. We don't know what that is. Which kind of sucks. It does suck, but it's also kind of like, what's happening to them during this time? It's probably not something that you want to hear or, well, you probably wouldn't see it because she's probably, it's probably just recording the inside of her pocket for video purposes but audio you probably hear it and Tobe Lesenby Carroll County Sheriff he has stated that the crime was not recorded so the phone stops recording at some point but what are we hearing before the recording cuts off you know what I mean
0: yeah I feel like like I understand why they're not releasing all of the audio that they have yeah but I mean it might help because they released the down the hill part to see if people recognize the voice but yeah if you were if you were caught on a recording muffled saying down the hill I would have no fucking clue that was you yeah if I make if I could maybe get like a little bit more it might be more recognizable
1: yeah so I don't know I don't know it's really difficult I think I mean, of course, Tobe Lesenby is saying that the crime was not recorded. He could mean that it wasn't recorded on the video, but audio could have captured the crime happening. Yeah. Or he could just be making that up. He could be just saying that when in reality the whole crime was recorded. Because, you know, who knows? If my phone battery was at full charge... I could fucking record three hours yeah. of shit.
0: Yeah.
1: So, who knows? He doesn't have to tell the public what was recorded at all. Well, that's true. So, if the crime was actually recorded, I mean, I don't want to hear that shit, to be honest. Well, no. So, I don't know. It's so hard to... It's This is a weird situation to be in. But, nonetheless, there's some shit recorded that we have not heard. Some of the podcasts have reported that the officers who have seen the video footage. So this must have been because like at the beginning of the recording is when she captures bridge guy like walking towards them. And so she hadn't put in her, put it in her pocket at that point. But some of the officers have stated that you can see Abby in a part of the frame like, turn and look at the phone, and that the look on her face is horrifying. Yeah. So they don't know if maybe they saw Bridge Guy earlier on the trails, and he freaked them out, and then they saw him again walking towards them on the bridge and kind of knew that he was up to fucking no good. Right. But the officers have reported that the look on Abby's face is one of the worst things they've ever seen. So, that's terrible.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the phone goes in the pocket, obviously. So, there's a little bit that they have before what we've gotten from them, and then an unknown amount after. Right. It's just crazy. But... (laughs) Okay, I. that's the end of evidence. Do you want to do the sketches, and then we'll, like, switch off on suspects? Yeah. Okay. All right, so back to the sketches. The first is a guy who looks to
0: be in his 40s. I would maybe even reach and say, like, early 50s. And he has some scruff happening and hair that curls out around his ears, and he's wearing that paperboy hat The second sketch looks like a much younger guy. The face is less detailed, which would indicate if it's the same quality of sketch, a face with less detail is a younger face.
1: Yeah, because there aren't as many lines. Right.
0: Um, And he's not wearing a hat and the hair is shorter and much curlier. The first one was out for nearly two years until 2019 when the second one was released and... What's weird is the police haven't said to forget about the first sketch, but look at both because the perp is likely somewhere in between.
1: Yeah. They've said that the first sketch is now secondary. Yeah. Whatever that means.
0: So we're just having to use our creativity here and combine those two sketches into what the person most likely looks like. Cool. Another weird thing about the sketches is that according to the True Crime Garage podcast, the second sketch was actually the first one to be drawn, but it was held back and released two years after the other one. Which is weird, right? Very weird. Maybe they were waiting on more solid detail to release it, but like why release the other one?
1: Yeah, because so yeah, we have like flannel shirt guy who Derek German talked to. He was obviously a witness that has been interviewed. Right. And then there's the couple that he talked about yeah. that was supposedly arguing at the bridge. And that couple was interviewed. And the arguing couple are also witnesses. And they said that they saw bridge guy. And in they, their description was part of the composite that made up the first release sketch of the older guy. So... I don't know. And there's another like witness was just us a, a woman who was out walking the trails. Yeah. She's also part of the composite sketch, and I think her testimony went to the first composite sketch of the older guy with the hat. Yeah. So those three, and flannel shirt guy. I don't know. If flannel shirt guy actually saw bridge guy. So I don't know. It's just all weird. It's all fucking weird.
0: Um, we're of course going to post these sketches on our socials. So if you're not following us, do that so you can see them. But police have stated that they believe this guy is between 18 years old and 40 years old. And, um, likely looks younger than he actually is. Could be between 5'6 and 5'10 and weigh between 180 and 200 pounds.
1: Okay. So now we're going to talk about our suspects. So, the first suspect is Ron Logan, and he was one of the very first suspects, most likely because he actually owns the property where the girls' bodies were found. That puts him in a very rough position. Yep, that's awkward. Um, So, essentially, the girls were found, like, kind of on the bank of Bear Creek, and... um, He owns about 30 acres, which is a lot. That's a lot of land. Yeah. And it butts up to the Monon High Trails. So when you kind of think about how vast of an area that is and it being so close to the Monon High Trails where tons of people from the area hang out anyway, it sounds less sinister that he owns the property (laughs) when you contextualize it.
0: Yeah. I mean... Just because he owns it doesn't make me think like yeah it was him.
1: Yeah, it's not like if they were found in his yard, then I would be like, mm, right, okay, you did it, you're fucking guilty. Yeah. But, I yeah, at this point, the con- when you have the context, I don't think it necessarily points to him. But police have to look at everyone. Um, but his alibi is weird as shit. So, he told police that he was out buying tropical fish.
0: I mean, that's super fucking I don't know. <laughs> I feel like
1: it's it's very specific. It is very specific and honestly, it sounds so weird that I feel like it's a little too weird to have been made up. Right. Because right. if you're making up an alibi, you're not going to be like, yeah, I was out buying tropical fish. You're going to be like, I was at the store. If you're
0: making, if you're making up an alibi, you're probably not going to say you were purchasing anything.
1: Exactly. So.
0: I was out driving. Yeah. I was taking a walk. Right. In a different town. Yeah. You know, I decided. I don't know.
1: <laughs> So he was out buying tropical fish and he had to drive to pick up. Said fish. Now, the driving aspect of this alibi is important because uh, he was on probation at the time for DUI. And as conditions of his probation, he was not supposed to drive nor drink alcohol. So when he tells police that he had to drive and go pick up these tropical fish, police are like, okay you weren't supposed to be driving, you just admitted to driving, you violated your probation, and so they arrest him. And they, then they eventually get evidence that Ron Logan was actually at a bar that day. So now he's violated two conditions of his probation. He was at a bar consuming alcohol, and he was driving a vehicle. So while his alibi seems to check it almost, him being at this bar pretty much confirms he wasn't at the Monon High Bridge Trail during the murders, but he still catches a probation violation. Which is kind of shitty. (laughs) Which is shitty, but um, he's pretty much ruled out as a suspect. Um, There's no evidence linking him to the murders, and even though police haven't They've gone on record to say that they're not going to officially clear anyone Yeah, because it, it would be at conviction time. A defense attorney could bring that up like, well, you cleared him and then you brought him back in as a suspect. Right. What's that about? Obviously, something in the beginning told you that they couldn't have done it. So how did that change? Right. They don't want to do that. They want to make conviction a slam dunk eventually right so that's why they're taking these precautions so they haven't officially cleared him but i think pretty much he's kind of like not a suspect yeah he is but he isn't yeah exactly he is but he isn't
0: all right next is daniel nations he's a registered sex offender from indiana there you go He was arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado in September of 2017 and was charged with threatening strangers on a trail with a hatchet.
1: Uh, okay. So, not a good start.
0: He's a red flag. I mean, everywhere. Red flags. The expired Indiana plates on the car that he was driving was noticed by police, who subsequently discovered an outstanding warrant under his name. And fanning public speculation still further, it was reported that a bicyclist, I really don't like that word, yeah um, had been fatally shot on the same trail at around the same time that Nations was terrifying uh, these poor little hikers.
1: (laughs) With a hatchet.
0: With a fucking hatchet.
1: Is there anything more terrifying than a person wielding a hatchet at people? I don't think so. Why does that make me just chilled to my bones when I hear it? I'm getting a hatchet now.
0: Yeah. Because if someone was trying to break into my house and I just, like, walked out of my bedroom half asleep with a hatchet, they'd be like, what the fuck?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, An El Paso County Sheriff's spokesman told reporters that, However many similarities there were between the cases, he was not at liberty to disclose them. And since Indiana investigators did not want any more information released. Boom. On January 5th, 2018, Mr. Nations was sentenced to three years of probation for threatening members of the public in Colorado. However, he was not released since he had an active warrant out on him back in Indiana On January 24th, he was transferred to Indiana officials' custody on an unrelated charge, failure to register as a sex offender. And in early February 2018, authorities said that Nations was no longer considered an active person of interest in the Delphi murders. Nations has gone on record stating he gave his DNA to investigators in the Delphi case in order to clear his name. We don't think that police have explicitly stated that DNA has cleared them. Um, they have stated Nations is not someone they
1: are looking into at this time. There's Hatchet Guy. There's Hatchet Guy. That's a, that's terrifying. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Paul Etter. Um, so, Paul Etter is a guy who was wanted for the kidnapping and subsequent rape of a 26-year-old woman on June 22nd of 2019 in Tippecanoe County. Um, Five days later, he was... Okay, I skipped a date on here because it... So around the end of July, so I think this is probably July 28th, of 2019, so we're looking at about two months after the attack. He was surrounded by police in a standoff that lasted five hours, and he eventually died by suicide. So um, investigators in the Delphi case have requested DNA and other samples from Paul Edders. Autopsy. There hasn't been any information released about the results of these samples, but it is interesting that they have requested DNA from yeah. this guy's autopsy. Yeah. So we don't know any really much more about this. I could have put a lot more in about Paul Etter, but I mean, there are other more compelling suspects. Right. So he's on the table. We don't know anything else about the DNA uh, from his autopsy.
0: Next up, we have uh, Thomas Bruce, two first names. Uh, That's always a sign. Yeah. Um, He formally worked as a pastor and is charged with fatally shooting a woman and then sexually assaulting two other women. um, After having ordered them at gunpoint into the back of a room of a suburban St. Louis shop for religious supplies. So this is the plot of a horror film instantly
1: a hundred percent.
0: This was committed in broad daylight on November 19th, 2018. And of course put him in the spotlight of press. Some noted his being of similar stature, five foot seven, five foot nine to the then current suspect description in the Delphi slangs. Also, he wears that weird flat cap thing. And, uh, had a navy blue jacket, not unlike the suspect in the Delphi case. So, yeah. Weird. Weird. Indiana State Police did look into his possible connection in November of 2018, and on December 4th, 2018, Bruce was charged with no fewer than 17 felony counts related to the St. Louis case and could receive the death penalty. Um... We don't really have anything further on his possible connection to the Delphi cases. It is possible that DNA is going to come into play with all of those felony counts. Bruce will have his DNA entered into CODIS, and it can then be compared to whatever DNA exists in the Delphi cases.
1: Yes. Okay, so James Brian Chadwell II is the next guy on the list. So, on April 27th of 2021, Indiana State Police detectives named James Brian Chadwell II as a new person of interest in the Delphi murders because on April 19th, 2021, Chadwell had lured a nine-year-old girl into his Lafayette, Indiana home with offers of a puppy. Oh, God, that makes me so
0: uncomfortable. Oh, fuck that
1: guy so hard. Fuck him so hard. That's ridiculous and disgusting and gross and vile. Um, Once she was inside, obviously, (laughs) no puppy. He did have a dog, but no puppy. Uh, He first strangled her to unconsciousness and held her captive in his basement. He violently... Violently sexually assaulted her. So later that same day, police are out searching for the girl because her parents had reported her missing, obviously. And so they knocked on Chadwell's door and asked him a few questions. He told police he had seen the girl earlier in the day on the street, but that she had vanished. He had not seen her after that. Initially, police left, but they return a short time later. And asked her to search the house. So, it's unclear what made them go back. It could have been that they, like, walked away and were like, you know what? That guy was fucking suspicious. Yeah. Either way, police go back to the house and ask to search. And he consents for, I don't really know, but thinking maybe that they wouldn't see her and would leave again. I guess. But police obviously noticed that the basement door had a chain lock on and were like, oh. Yeah, I'm going down there. Yeah. So they go into the basement and find the girl. She's injured. She's crying. Her injuries included bruises on her head, arms, legs, as well as signs of strangulation on her neck. She also appeared to be, appeared to have dog bites on her legs. So he like made his dog bite her or something. Jesus Christ. Which is fucking terrible. So in December of 2021, Chadwell pled guilty to attempted murder and child molesting. The judge sentenced him to 90 years in prison, and this prison sentence includes a 20-year enhancement for being a habitual offender, and he is eligible for parole in 2091. So dude's going to die in prison. Hopefully the prisoners carry out prison justice on him for being a child molester. Yeah. Uh, Fingers crossed. So the Delphi connection comes because he's a child predator and lived in Lafayette, Indiana, which um, is about 15 miles from Delphi. Uh, However, True Crime Garage reports that at the time of the Delphi murders, he had an address registered in Peru, Indiana, which is about 30 minutes from Delphi. So um, Tobe Lesnby has said that they're looking into Chadwell. Also, True Crime Garage has stated that in the early days of the Delphi investigation, police were out serving numerous search warrants, and one of those warrants was for an address in Peru, Indiana. Obviously, it's speculated that this could be connected to Chadwell, so he could have been on their radar for Delphi before his assault on this 9-year-old girl simply for being a child predator. It's unknown, but he's on the radar still, because that was just... December of twenty twenty one when he was sentenced, so just a few months ago. God, that's twenty twenty one seems so long ago for some reason.
0: Yeah, but it was only six months ago. God damn dude. It's crazy. <laughs> Next up we have Garrett Kurtz. I hate his name. Mm-hmm. He is someone who has been thrown out there as a possible suspect. He has a history of violence, particularly against women. Mm-hmm. Imagine that.
1: Imagine that.
0: Some have stated that Kurtz worked as a meat at a as a meat packing plant. <laughs> <laughs> worked at a meat packing plant that was located near the trails. So, if that is the case, he could have had easy access in and out. There is speculation that Kurtz knew Ron Logan, mm-hmm. the first dude we talked about, um, the owner of the land that Libby and Abby were found on. And online sleuths state that photos of Kurtz show him with one of Ron Logan's horses. So he possibly worked on the farm or was associated somehow through the horses. Um, on down the hill, they talk about how there were like a number of people that kind of hung out on Ron Logan's property.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is like weird, but also not weird. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't think that makes someone a murderer, but... No. Um, So this would give Kurt's knowledge of the area, and it is widely accepted that the perp likely was familiar with the trails and the bridge, of course. Obviously. Part of Kurt's criminal history includes being a suspect in abducting or attempting to abduct a 14-year-old girl. And just a reminder, Libby was 14 and Abby was 13. He also attacked and confined his girlfriend at the time Mm -hmm. um her name was ashley garth he was arrested and charged for this crime also a side note ashley was from delphi kurtz and also garth as an accomplice was convicted of murdering his ex-girlfriend nicole bowen this is very very confusing
1: it is confusing
0: Um, According to the True Crime Garage podcast, Nicole Bowen's body was discovered in a hunting shack wrapped up in a blanket. And it was discovered that Garth had some beef with Nicole, and Kurtz drove Nicole to Garth's home, and a fight ensued between these women. He then intervened and strangled Nicole, and he only strangled her until she fell unconscious, and then he reportedly got tools to kill her. It is heavily implied that she was tortured, if there were tools involved.
1: Yeah, that seems to point that way.
0: He would later tell police that he killed her because she had information about his meth operation. Why does this not surprise me?
1: Not surprising at all. He did plead guilty to her
0: murder and was sentenced to 55 years. And he is put out there as a suspect because it's said that he has an unhealthy interest in young girls. But there is no evidence, as far as we know, that links Kurtz directly to Libby and Abby.
1: Yeah. So, who knows? Um, And our final suspect we're going to talk about is Keegan Anthony Klein. So, this one is relatively new. And we actually made a TikTok about this person yes um so go check out our tiktok the night that it happened almost literally because i always leave um the true crime channel crime tv or whatever on the tv for when we're gone for the dogs that sounds weird but it's literally the only channel that i can almost guarantee no animals are gonna pop up oh yeah that's true and (laughs) when animals are on the tv april loses her fucking mind and tries to attack the tv (laughs) so she watches court tv all day and it just was left on and i randomly saw them talking about this guy and i was like stop the presses i have to i have to like make something this is huge this is literally breaking news and i had to like send it to you and then i had to make a tiktok and it was it was like Yeah, it was like breaking fucking news, everything, screeching halt. Screeching halt to everything. This was at like 9 p.m. too, so (laughs) lucky I was even awake. Anyway, so on December 6th of 2021, at around 9.50 p.m., Sergeant Jeremy Pierce, who's a public information officer with the Indiana State Police, announced the discovery of a fictitious online persona, Anthony Schatz. Sergeant Pierce said that this profile had been uncovered during the course of investigation into the Delphi murders, and it was believed that this Anthony Schatz profile was used between 2016 and 2017. The press release said they were asking for anyone with social media contact with the Anthony Schatz profile between 2016 and 2017 to come forward. They asked anyone coming forward to utilize the Abby and Libby tip line. And a day or two later, an ISP was released. Uh, oh, ISP released an additional statement and confirmed that the account is alleged to have belonged to 27 year old Anth- uh, Keegan Anthony Klein of Peru, Indiana. Fucking Peru, Indiana. God, anyway. At the time of the release, Klein was being held in Miami County Jail for 30 alleged crimes, including child exploitation, possession of child pornography, child solicitation for sexual intercourse, and obstruction of justice. So this guy's a fucking terrible person. He set up the fake social media account in which he used photos of an unknown male model to catfish potential underage victims. Ugh. (sighs) Kelsey German, Libby's sister, said of Klein being a potential suspect, quote, I think in the past there were names put out in the, in the media that was more the media putting them out there, but I think this is the first time we've ever seen police put out any sort of name about a potential suspect. Kelsey also said she believed social media did not have anything to do with the case, but has now reconsidered saying that, quote, Libby never told me anything about anybody contacting her online, but since the latest release happened, it's made me think that even if she had told us or if we would have said something that she'd have likely kept messaging anyway because teenagers like to hide things, unfortunately, which it is true. It has since been confirmed, and it's what we talk about in our TikTok, that, Keegan-Anthony Klein was behind the Anthony Schatz profile and was communicating with Libby German. Yeah. And had communicated with Libby German via Snapchat on the day of the murders. Right. So, he was absolutely communicating with her. Which is very, very, very sus. Very sus. And... um. The Murder Sheet podcast actually got their hands on the transcript of interviews with Keegan Klein that police did, and many major news outlets have talked about it. They've been part of disseminating the information that Klein is actually the Anthony Schatz profile and had been communicating with her on the day of murder, and prior to that, for probably several weeks. Yeah. So, the Murder Sheet podcast is, like, directly involved now. Damn. Which is crazy.
0: Um, let's talk about DNA. Is there DNA? Police have not stated explicitly what was found and what was not found at the crime scene. And they have not stated how Abby and Libby were found, nor the cause of death. So, a lot of us are probably wondering, is there DNA? First, during the early days of the investigation, it was said that police were collecting DNA samples from potential suspects and The logical brain would think if they're collecting DNA samples, there's probably DNA to compare it to, or they're just hoping that there is. Right, exactly. Second, Daniel Nation stated on the record that he provided his DNA to police in order to clear his name. Of course, we have to consider veracity of anything Daniel Nation says, um, because he's a terrible person and he isn't exactly credible. Right. Third, we know that DNA and other samples were requested from the autopsy of Paul Etter. Why would they request DNA from Etters if they didn't have DNA to compare it to? Exactly. Fourth, Libby's grandmother has recently stated on the record that there is DNA. Of course, since Libby lived with her grandma prior to the murder, it is safe to assume that her grandma would be in the know as far as the case goes. But this is still secondhand information, so we should believe it tentatively. It has been rumored that Libby fought her attacker extremely hard, and we assume the authorities know this based on the defensive wounds found on Libby. Typically, these would be on her hands and arms. It is possible that at least one source of DNA was obtained from Libby, maybe from under her nails, if she managed to scratch Bridge Guy. Police have asked the community to consider if anyone they know appeared to have scratches on them in the days following
1: the murder that seems to indicate that maybe they got DNA from her nails. Yeah, absolutely. So, which, thinking about what people have said about Libby, <clears throat> a lot of people, I think mostly her family, have described her as kind of being like a true crime fanatic. Yeah. Which would explain why she had the foresight to record her the attacker and why she would maybe... In the moment, think I'm gonna scratch this person. She could have realized that there wasn't necessarily a way to survive, but she could at least help catch him
0: by getting crazy to
1: me. Yeah, the DNA and her phenols for a 14 year old person to think that logically and rationally while being horrifically attacked is insane. Yeah, so yeah. Um, Okay, so now we're going to talk about some theories, and um, this is all speculation. It's all from online sleuths and true crime podcasts and other parts of the true crime community. Everybody is just trying to figure out what happened. As we've said, this is a huge case. So many people are heavily invested in it. I mean, same. Yeah. So these are all theories that people have come up with. So Nick from True Crime Garage thinks that the reason the case is still unsolved is because Bridge Guy had help. Now, maybe not necessarily someone who helped him carry out the murders, but someone who is either providing him a false alibi or helping cover up who he is, not coming forward, even if they, like could hear his voice and recognize it right or whatever. Um, so Nick from True Crime Garage thinks that that's at least part of why it's not solved, is yeah. that someone is getting a false alibi. Could be. Could
0: be. There's also a theory that the girls attempted to run from Bridge Guy. It has been reported that one of Libby's shoes were found on... The opposite side of the creek from where their bodies were found, so she could have lost a shoe trying to run away, um, and most lean towards this because if they're running across a creek, I mean that's a, a likely situation to lose a shoe.
1: Yeah, so. and it since they were found on the opposite side of the creek from where the bridge is. Most people think it's unlikely that Bridge Guy would have had them cross the creek. Right. So. Libby's
0: phone was also found on the ground at the scene, making some think that she dropped it, either accidentally attempting to run or in an attempt to hide it from Bridge Guy,
1: knowing that she captured him on video. Right. Which I think she probably... I would think, just based on everything else, that she probably likely did drop it in an attempt to conceal the phone from bridge guy yeah absolutely you know she had all this other foresight it would have made sense to me that she would have dropped it so that he didn't see it yeah um there is another theory that abby was actually pregnant um, she apparently had a 16-year-old boyfriend at the time, and there is speculation that she was pregnant and someone close to the boyfriend may have killed her in an attempt to end the pregnancy. This one seems highly unlikely to me because it just... It's a reach. It's such a reach. Yeah. I mean, lots of 13-year-old girls have boyfriends.
0: Yeah. I that... mean,
1: 13 is young, but... I... Yeah. Some girls can't even physically get pregnant at 13. Right. I mean, I was, I'm pretty sure I was 13 when I first got my period. I don't remember, like, at what point in my 13th year that happened, but, you know. Yeah, I mean. I I don't know. It just seems unlikely that someone would commit double homicide.
0: Right, because one of them is
1: pregnant. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. One of the rumors circulating
0: is that Abby may have survived for a time after the attack was over. There are a few scenarios that have been put out there. First is that Abby was actually alive when the scene was discovered, but she passed away on her way to the hospital. I feel like we would know that if that were true. Yeah. Yeah. Second is that Abby survived the attack, but then died of hypothermia. And as we talked about Lisk. Um, And the hypothermia shit, or like with those cases and those Mm -hmm. murders, um, hypothermia can set in at much warmer temperatures than you would think. And again, this was February in Indiana. It was warm, like we talked about earlier, but even at 40 degrees, you can become hypothermic. And it, of course, would have easily gotten colder throughout the night.
1: Yeah, so I think hypothermia would have easily been likely, especially if she was already injured. Yeah. and lost a lot of blood, right? Potentially, if we're going with like the throat cut theory. Mm-hmm. So if she's lost that much blood, sh- hypothermia would probably set in much easier. Yeah
0: The last scenario in this states that it's possible Abby was alive, although extremely injured and witnessed Libby's murder and then attempted to
1: crawl away, but then soon died. But those are
0: things we're just not ever going to know.
1: Right. So... I mean, it's possible that based on the autopsy, they could determine, like, say, the hypothermia one, that could be determined in autopsy. Right. If she died several hours later than Libby. Yeah. They would be able to determine that. But, like, this one, if she passed away minutes after libby they wouldn't be able to say that no and obviously if she was alive when they discovered the scene that would be obvious right and then she died in an ambulance on the way to the hospital there would be no reason for them to not release that information if it were true and um people would know if there was an ambulance brought to the scene yeah so that one pretty much is out There's also a lot of speculation as to whether Bridge Guy took the girls to a second location where he committed the murder and then moved their bodies back to the Monan High Bridge Trail area where they were discovered right around Bear Creek. Could be. Since we don't have any details about the scene itself, it's really hard to say, but some people think that... um, there was a lack of blood at the scene and that that makes them think that they were killed at a different location and then moved to the area of the creek that they were found. Yeah. But some of their clothes were found at the scene and it, I think a few articles of their clothing were actually in the creek. Mm. So that kind of is a weird scenario. If you like, why would their clothes be there if they were taken to a different place and killed? Right. There's just so many things that are so weird about this case. Yeah. So I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So that's all the theories that we're going to talk about. There are endless theories, and if you want to explore those, get on Reddit. Yeah. Um, and if you have any information that you feel as pertinent pertinent to this case um, you can call the toll-free tip line at 844 459 5786 or they prefer you email the tip email which is all spelled out abby and libby tip at c a c o s h r f com, So that's an abbreviation for Carroll County Sheriff. Right. So obviously we'll post that in our sources and on our socials. So here's just a little tidbit of things. In a response to a request from
0: Libby's mom, home, homeowners across central Indiana have had orange lights installed on their front porches, both to commemorate the girls as well to indicate that the murderer remains at large.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. In August 2017, the families announced their plans to build a sports complex for Delphi in memory of the girls. A nonprofit organization, LNA Park Foundation, was formed to, quote, celebrate and commemorate the lives of Libby German and Abby Williams by creating a place for the appreciation of nature, art, play, and athleticism for generations to come. A site was procured a mile north of Delphi, and in the years following the girls' deaths, continued progress has been made on the development of the Memorial Park. In 2020, the LNA Park Foundation was named a recipient of the NBA All-Star 2022 Legacy Grant.
1: So that is very cool. Super cool. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I don't know that I have a final thought. No, I don't have I don't have any thoughts because I am confusion. Yeah. So (laughs) Um, this case is huge. As we've stated throughout, you can find endless amounts of content on this case, Um, but it does feel like we could be on the brink of solution. We are literally tracking this case 24 hours a day via our Google Alerts. So, the instant there is a break, we will drop everything we're doing and update our coverage. Yeah. We'll leave work if we must. I will drop literally everything. Mid-conversation at work, I will walk out of the building. Yeah. Uh, We will get fired for this. Straight up. For the cause. For the cause.
0: All right. Well, that's all. Um... We hope you enjoyed Mm -hmm. and please, please give us a rating five stars, preferably, please write us a little review. If you have the option to do so in whatever app you're listening to us, that'd be great. If you're not listening to us in Apple pod, because you don't have an iPhone, just go ahead and get an iPhone and then write us a review.
1: Yeah. Or steal someone else's iPhone and write a review on their app. Yeah.
0: How about everyone, you know, if they have an iPhone, Look us up on their podcast app, download it, and then write us a review. Yeah, that'd be
1: real great. So, um, obviously, shout out to Laura for a beautiful new artwork. Uh, you can find her Instagram handle at the beginning of this episode. So, just go all the way back, listen again, write down her IG info from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, as always, Ariel is the light of our lives. She wrote our music. Um, and that's all. So please be kind to one another. And stay weird. And goodbye. Goodbye.